So thanks for joining us, Kathy. I'm guessing there's going to be people in my world, like the e-commerce space, that know you are, and then there's going to be people who don't know you are. So it'd be great if you could just give us a bit of background into what you do. I've seen you on Twitter a lot. Your content is fantastic. So that's how I got to know you. Maybe you could give us an introduction into what you get up to and, and uh, on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to chat. And I've been following you for a while on Twitter and I enjoy your tweets. Occasionally I'm having to look up some of the stuff that you mentioned because I'm not real familiar with it, but it's it's been great. <laughs> but no, what I do is I have a market research company called Logistics Trends and Insights. It's focused on market research and the logistics space and do a variety of stuff ranging from content writing, actual market research, analysis, new product development, helping out with that, and just a variety of things, whatever really, to be honest with you, strikes my fancy. I also write for a couple of publications as well, the Journal of Commerce, as well as Air Cargo World. You know, with Air Cargo World, I focus, of course, on Air Cargo. And then with the Journal of Commerce, I focus on the last mile small parcel market. There's a lot of interest across the supply chain on that. But previously, before I started my company, I was with UPS, part of the supply chain solutions side and the freight forwarding. And even before that, I was with an e-commerce consulting firm. So I laugh and say that I've been following Amazon almost since the day they started. You know, I do I do a lot of writing and such e-commerce logistics. Was you writing about Amazon back in the early days or was you just following them and observing them? I was following them on behalf of a UPS and the consulting firm I was with. Back then, you know, the consensus was that, my God, Amazon's not going to make it. They're going to crash. Really? Make a profit. So yeah, <laughs> 20 something years later, they're still here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And a totally different company now as well, right? It really was because it started off as an online book retailer. And then they started offering platforms to various retailers. Like I believe Target actually got their online start by selling Amazon. And I think Babies R Us did as well. It's been interesting to watch them evolve and higher market for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. So your your focus is is really on that logistics and supply chain management piece of it, you know, which feeds into obviously the online, you know, commerce market and also into, you know, bricks and mortar as well. So anything that's been taken, you know, from anywhere to anywhere. And also, obviously, I am assuming like you get involved or are you focused in on on the kind of commerce world? Do you get involved in distribution for medical and, and such yeah. like, you know, that's outside the commerce space? Definitely. Oh, yeah. So anything, really. Exactly. If it's a supply chain, yeah. Right. I will research it or write on it. You must have an immense knowledge then. I still don't quite understand how a port runs. I know how to load a ship or an airplane and how to get it from origin to destination. Yeah. <laughs> you know how to load a plane in the most optimal way or you just know how to load it? Just load it. <laughs> from okay. a freight forwarding perspective, and, you know, freight forwarders, 
you know, they buy up space on a ship or on an airplane. And then from that there, they resell it to their customers. You know, I've been involved with that for a number of years when I was with UPS to get that space sold entirely PS. Right. I mean, we're going to jump around a little bit here. It's a good segue. We worked with Zender, which is owned by IAG Cargo and British Airways is, is part of that group. They sell the space on their planes, as you know. Mm-hmm. And what they started was a service where they could actually go direct to the merchant and sell the space. Because at the time uh, when we was talking to them, they, they said to me that it was a bit of a race to the bottom. You know, the, the rates, we were talking only 18 months ago, like, you know, not even that, a year ago. But there were so many planes up in the air, you know, going across the Atlantic. They just couldn't pick up the cargo, you know, like they couldn't go cheap enough to pick it up. And there was a lot of empty space that they wanted to to try and sell. That whole business has been turned on its head this year, right? Oh, my gosh. It really has. When the uh, pandemic really hit the U.S., you know, like in March, the passenger airplanes just were completely grounded. And that took out over 50% of total air cargo market. Capacity's been constrained nicely ever since then. So now we've seen rates going through the roof, delays. There's been a number of delays across all transportation. But yeah, air cargo market has definitely been one that's been severely impacted. I mean, they were struggling even before the pandemic, but for the opposite reason. It was much cheaper to put goods on an ocean, you know, on a ship than to transport it by air. But the trade-off is the timing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a kind of interesting, like, you know, if you look at the share prices, right, like UPS, you know, FedEx, through the roof, business is good. Obviously, there's a lot going on around domestic shipping, but just focusing for a second on, you know, the international cargo and stuff like that. The fact that there's not so many planes in the air means that I would assume that the likes of FedEx and, and UPS and DHL are putting up more planes themselves. Is that a logical conclusion? I'm, I'm very not yeah. understanding that world. So. <laughs> you are absolutely right. You understand it well. Yeah, all three have certainly benefited right. this year from an air perspective as well. Yeah, in fact, let's see, in one of FedEx's previous quarterly earnings calls, they discussed They talked about how they were going to gain market share, particularly on the Trans-Pacific and the Transatlantic lanes, because of the lower number of airplanes flying, cargo planes. And and I suspect they will pick up some, um, you know, between now and I think FedEx said within the next 18 months is when they said that this is going to last, this whole tight capacity issue. So, yeah, but will it be sustainable is is the other question because they, all three of them, are raising rates to take advantage of the situation. And, yeah, yeah, of course, they're profiting from it. I mean, their businesses, they're expected to profit. And a lot of it is e-commerce goods because, you know, earlier in the year, what was it, 70% of UPS's volumes were e-commerce related back in um, March and April which I found was really interesting because it's usually been a very equal mix between B2B and B2C. But that sudden shift over to e-commerce and retail has been interesting to watch. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it, really? How much 
yeah. just just the size of the impact there and I mean, FedEx stepped out of the Amazon market and stopped yeah. stopped shipping Amazon because I was worried about them being competition. UPS is still in there. You know, Amazon uh, has moved to using UPS more and actually maybe it was a, a bad move on FedEx's part. And it's, well, the timing, you know, why is it a bad move? I don't know about long term, but what's your feelings on that? Well, it was interesting. Yeah, you're right. Last year, FedEx refused to renew the contract with Amazon for their express and ground services, which literally meant dropping Amazon as a customer. It's a brave move. It's a very brave move. At first I thought, what a stupid thing. And then I got to think, well, wait a minute. And this is just Kathy's take on this, is I have a feeling that Amazon, like a big shipper that they are, demanded low rates. And FedEx probably did the calculations and said, look, we can't move your stuff that low for that low amount. And I think there was an exchange between the two and FedEx just was smart enough to walk away because at the end of the day, they need to make a profit and they weren't profiting from Amazon. And there's only so much capacity that FedEx has, right? And obviously, you know, with COVID hitting. Yeah. If they had been shipping Amazon goods, they would have suffered in coping. I think so. Amazon has been building out their last mile uh, network. So they don't rely near as much on the likes of UPS, FedEx, and even the post office as they used to. Because they're covering more and more of it themselves. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays into the grand scheme of things when it comes to last mile, what, in a year or even during the holiday season coming up. But on the on the FedEx side, I think the other reason that they, well, the reason it was a good move from, I think, was with their customer base, right? Because Amazon's a difficult proposition, you know, because you go and sell on Amazon, but then there's a danger of them kind of finding out what goods are selling and then just copying you, right? That's what a yeah. lot of people complain about. So some of the brands have got such brand presence that it doesn't really matter. That's the problem with with Amazon that merchants and you know a lot of merchants I talk to are not fans of them. So I think FedEx uh, making this statement about not supporting them is also good for for their goodwill and them putting out a really positive note around you know saying you know we support the merchant. Yeah, I think one of FedEx's largest customers is Walmart, and we know Walmart and Amazon are going head to head with each other. Earlier this week, Walmart launched their, even though they deny it's their answer, but everyone kind of sees it as such, but their answer to Amazon Prime called Walmart Plus. And it's still limited. They're going to grow it. They're going to expand upon it. I don't see them ever really taking a massive amount of subscribers away from Amazon. But it's interesting because I did try it out the other day. Wasn't real impressed with it, to be honest, but I did like last mile delivery experience. It turned out very well, and it was a crowdsource company that did the last mile delivery. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I thought so. So do you want to just explain what last mile delivery is all about? Because, you know, there's going to be some people listening to this who, who won't really understand that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the last mile is basically when that box, that crate, that pallet is delivered to the final location. 
Okay, so it could be my house. It could be at a distribution center. It could be at a retailer or it could be at a manufacturer. But it is the last, it's the primary destination of those goods. You know, I like to remind people the last mile may not be true last mile because we may take one look at the stuff and go, yeah, I don't want it or it's wrong. And we send it back. And that's where you have that circular effect coming in with the returns. But no, ultimately, it is the final destination. And it's funny because particularly with small parcels, that location of the last mile is changing. It's always been known to be at our front steps. It could be at a UPS store or a FedEx office. It could be at a retailer, a retail park like Michael's or CVS or Dollar General or any other third party. So you're talking about hold at location and UPS yeah. access point. Exactly, exactly. And then the little lockers as well. In England, you know, pick up from store really big for years. And, and I know that's coming here now. If we ignore this year, I think it's a bit different. But even, <laughs> even this year, it's still a big thing and like Bobis you know, curbside as well. But in England, people get stuff delivered to their house, but they're at work, right? So we don't leave on a doorstep because, I mean, it would get stolen. <laughs> so so we like, when it's delivered to your house, it's awkward because it has to go to your neighbor or they put it in your, they actually like will put it, you know, over the fence or something like that, or just leave it out in the rain kind of thing and it's stolen. So it's an issue there. Things like lockers and delivery to workplace or delivery to, you know, a chemist or something, a pharmacy is a big thing but in america it seems to me that unless you're in a really big city why would you not get it delivered to home like i just wondered what your thoughts were on that is it mainly for people that you know live in places ignoring covid right obviously live in places like new york and chicago where you know they want to pick it up on their way home from work or whatever how do you see that i think it's targeted to a lot of those types of people and here in the u.s it's geographically large region. You know, I understand why UPS and FedEx are doing this. It's to help lower their delivery costs. But to convince people that have been for years used to having it delivered to the front steps, it's a mind change. And, and they say, for why, right? Like, why, why would I do that kind of thing? Exactly. It's like, no, you bring it to me at my front door. You know, but it's slowly changing and you're right. In larger cities, it's been embraced a lot faster, particularly the lockers. And if you're living in apartments, you know, there's lockers that are being placed in these facilities and such. So it makes sense there. But for a lot of us that live out in the suburbs, <laughs> we're just like, no, just bring it to the front door. Thank you. Precisely. They have it a lot, um, lockers at train stations in England, So, yeah. which is great, right? You get off the train on your way home from work, go to the locker, pick up your stuff, and then go home. You know, you get a code. It's not like you have a personal locker. It's <laughs> You just go up and, and that locker's yours that day kind of thing. That's great. And, you know, it's interesting because when you, when you order on Amazon, you know, you have a choice of picking up at a locker. You know, I live just north of Atlanta. And around here, it's either I can have it picked up at a locker at Whole Foods or there's gas stations. I'll tell you what I did notice the other day. We had something delivered for work and I was going to get it delivered to my home address. And I'm about 
30 minutes drive outside Austin and my colleague lives in downtown Austin. I got it delivered to his place rather than mine. I switched it over and I said, no, you get it and you can bring it along. We were going out to this event. It arrived at his a day earlier. So when I switched it on Amazon, it said, oh, we'll get there for Tuesday instead of Wednesday. And I thought, why is that? How comes like, you know, they're not coming out to me. <laughs> so, so I think that's probably, I think maybe if more of a thing was done about that, the fact that, you know, I could go to my local CVS store and get it a day earlier, I probably would get it delivered there in some cases. Probably because it is a lower cost for FedEx and PS. And so, yeah, they can get those types of packages delivered faster. And they prefer it, right? Because the last mile element is much reduced because they can deliver a lot of packages to one location. Exactly, exactly. And that was one of the problems at the beginning of this pandemic was the fact that sudden shift over to residential deliveries. Residential deliveries, you know, the door-to-door to neighborhoods, that's expensive. It takes up a lot of time. And they did not have enough people to make those deliveries on time. And that's why we saw a number of delays occurring. If they could have made those deliveries to a locker or, you know, a third party location, which probably wasn't open, but still, it would have been less cost and it probably would have been on time. I did wonder whether or not they were going to do that at the time, because obviously when this all you know kicked off, I don't know about you, but you probably had a bit more view of what was going to happen before because you, you, you look worldwide, right? But when this all happened, it, it was very fast, wasn't it, how it all went down. I did wonder at a certain point whether or not they were going to move to the, the hold it location and, and people actually just driving up to the supermarkets or the CVS and, you know, you go up and they scan your phone and put it in your trunk, right? Like, mm-hmm. so that there was completely contactless because I, I kind of saw that, you know, maybe there would be issues around, you know, all these drivers just trying to drive around everywhere and having contact with people. Well, exactly. And, you know, and here in Georgia, you know, wearing a mask isn't mandatory. So you had that whole issue of being in contact with people that may not be wearing masks you know, the whole safety concern. And that and that was that also played into a lot of what's been going on. Did you have fears that the supply chain or, or, you know, concerns that it would all seize up, you know, when we were back in March time? Because there were definitely restrictions put on, right? Like so like the container space I mean, we saw it with the equipment not getting through, right? The masks and the PPE yeah. equipment. I know that they were prioritizing right medical staff and things like that. Did you ever have any concerns we would just stop getting goods in? Well, it was worrisome, definitely. That's for sure. That it seemed to work out. But yeah, when you're going to like, the grocery store <laughs> and there's a whole aisle of empty shelves, no toilet paper, no disinfectant, no nothing, it's scary. But you look at that differently, right? Most people go down there and they say, oh, you know, there's empty shelves. But you're thinking about containers and planes and China and... Exactly. (laughs) Getting the medical stuff into the country, that really was concerning because it really highlighted the fact that... See, how can I put this? (laughs) Most of the medical goods and equipment are manufactured outside of the U.S. And then all of a sudden, here we are scrambling, we scrambling to get these goods from countries that 
have almost literally shut down themselves because of the pandemic. And they're using these goods for their own population. You know, so why why share with the U.S., you know, that type of thing. So there was a lot of negotiation, you know, I'm sure backroom negotiations, working with manufacturers. And that was also another struggle too, Karen, was the fact that some companies, you know, a number of their suppliers had shut down in Asia or Europe and they had... So they no just went manufacturing, just stopped, right? Everything at the start stopped. And so, yeah. And I think the other thing that was going on, that I, I saw a few things where people were panicking. So they started buying goods that were defect. You know, like the British government bought, you know, a plane full of goods. I think I think it was from Turkey or something like that and uh, got them over, PPE stuff, no good. Yeah. So there were people profiting off the back of what was happening. The problem is, I assume, with the, the shipping space, the you know, the sea freight area is, that once stuff stops, they start taking the ships out of service, correct? Mm-hmm. You know, because they don't want to run empty ships, yeah? And when so when China stopped, I mean, at a certain point, they weren't manufacturing anywhere near, you know, normal volumes, were they? They, they closed down a bit, is my understanding. So then the ships stopped sailing, so the rates start going up. So now it's more expensive, but you've not got as many, you know, ships out there to carry the goods. So when the manufacturing starts back up, they can't get it on the ships. It takes a while to get things back up to speed as well. I mean, it doesn't flip on a dime, so to speak. It's like a conveyor belt situation. And when one thing breaks, then it cascades all the way down, right? Because you also need people in the in the ports that are going to unload all of this, right? Uh-huh. Luckily, a lot of that now is containerized. My dad actually is a docker, works in the docks. Yeah, and my brother is as well. So it's very funny that I work in shipping. So it's purely <laughs> coincidental. At school, people I used to say, and people would say, he's a doctor. And I was like, no, he's a docker. <laughs> and sometimes I used to just go, yeah, he's a doctor. I come from a whole family of Port of London docks going back a few generations. My dad's like in his 70s now, so he's retired. My brother's been in there for probably 30 odd years. So when I go home, they they talk a lot about shipping <laughs> but not the shipping i know <laughs> in my family i come from a technology background so i think i was the big family disappointment for not going into technology that's kind of interesting because i'm on the flip side like i'm the only technologist in my family so we should probably have switched families to be Maybe. honest with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was a disappointment going into technology honestly <laughs> There you go. <laughs> they um, still don't understand what I do. When I, when I talk to my dad, he has no idea. He, all he knows is I work with computers and that's about it. Uh, well, see, that's the same with my family. They they really don't know what I do for a living. All they know is I've managed to buy a house and they're like, well, that's good. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. What made you get into this space in the first place? Was it purely accidental? Or, you know, because you really seem to, like, I get the impression that it's not just work, is it? You're, you're actually really passionate about this, like what you do. So, you know, like a lot of people, I fell into the whole supply chain business back when I first started with UPS, uh, actually with the e-commerce consulting firm. Now, this is funny because back then we were trying to convince people, you really need to have a website. I remember those days. Yeah, it, it was crazy. 
Do you remember um, the Microsoft website? What that used to be like? It oh, was, gosh, it was yeah. terrible, terrible. Yeah. yeah. Coca-Cola as well. They had a terrible website, Coca-Cola. Definitely, definitely. But lucky for us, well, lucky for me, I guess I should say, the consulting firm was one of the many e-commerce companies to go under during the dot-com com bust in the early 2000s. I was fortunate enough, I mean, because UPS was a client of ours at the time. So I jumped ship and went over to them because they, at the time they were like, look, we're getting ready to start up a new side business and we need folks to do research products not related to small parcel. We want to expand beyond small parcel. So I was like, okay, that's cool. So the group I was in eventually became UPS Supply Chain Solutions. And out of our group, we created the basics of the reverse logistics product that UPS still uses today. Uh, That's the whole returns, recycle, refurbish type of supply chain. We also built out UPS Capital, which is a separate subsidiary of UPS. And we did a number of other things as well. At the time, I thought of it, it's a job. I'm thankful to have a job. When they made me go tour a warehouse, that's when it hit me. Because when I first got out of school many years ago, I started off my career as a librarian. I've always loved research. That's always been the backbone of everything I do. So when I walked into the warehouse for the very first time and saw everything (laughs) organized on these shelves, throughout the facility, all I kept thinking of was like, oh my God, this is a library. How cool is that? And I think I fell in love with it then. And it just kind of grew. And I always had a fascination with airplanes. I had a number of um, family members that worked for Boeing and my husband works for Lockheed. So, you know, it was always talk about airplanes at the dinner table or when the family all got together. Combined with that, I don't know, supply chain, it just, it all clicked with me. It made sense. And um, yeah, I love it. My Twitter feed, some days I go a little overboard on my tweets, but I treat that as uh, as my library, my virtual library. No, I think your tweets is great. I advise anyone to follow along. What's your Twitter handle? Um, my personal one, the one that I go crazy on, is cmroberson06. Okay. I'll make sure we put that on the podcast as well so that people can see that. I think it's one of the best Twitter accounts out there in the shipping space. My Twitter's, you know, full of a load of, you know, rubbish. And <laughs> I'm in all these different communities, you know, like I'm in the developer thing and then there's Magenta and Shopify. And stuff. I find your Twitter feed really interesting it's a bit all over the place yours has more structure i would like to be more like you (laughs) uh, i think it's a symptom of the job you know that you're doing research is a is a great area but it's a difficult thing to keep up with and it's a difficult thing to to be a thought leader which is essentially what you're doing that's your business right is to provide that research you know we're all learning from each other we're all thought leaders it's not just the experience that you've got you stay on top of it 
you're in the here and now and you're looking towards the future as well. But that's a big investment in effort. Do you spend a lot of your kind of working day and outside of that, obviously, but, you know, just reading articles and getting in information yourself? Like, how do you tackle that? I love talking with folks in the market, whether they're in supply chain or not, because I think it's really important to get outside opinions as well. You know, the thoughts and such. Yeah, there's a lot of that goes on. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's one of the things I say to the staff sometimes. They're sitting in this e-commerce space and learning from people that are within it. And I tell them to go and learn from people outside of the e-commerce space. Think about things differently and, and find people in any area, right? And I think sometimes you learn the most from people that are not directly doing you know the business that you're doing so gosh I totally agree and it opens your mind as well just to look at other things you know that's one of the things with what you're publishing there's a lot you say about you know my feed and not understand some of that there's some stuff on yours and I just don't understand it but it enables me to dig into it you know and understand it more so appreciate you being there for that what do you think about this Black Friday and is that something that where you will actually get involved in advising companies on that let's say you are you know, trying to forecast what you want to do, like if you're, I don't know, Target or Walmart and you want to understand, you know, what's going on in the supply chain, people like that got to be coming over to people like you and going, Kathy, what's going on out there, I assume, and what's the best way that we can move forward? Like even for stuff like last mile where you're talking about, you know, it was delivered by crowdsourced, I'm assuming that you stay on top of what's coming onto the market and the best ways to ship. Yeah, I do work with shippers, such as the targets and such, helping tweak the supply chain, forecast, find out what competitors are doing. I also work with the logistics providers themselves, because a lot come to me going, what are the shippers needing? Or we need to get our products out faster. We need to figure out whether or not we should be offering same day delivery versus two day delivery. What are the benefits of that? And I'm also working with startups in the logistics space, just trying to get their name out and setting them up as thought leaders because uh, there's a lot of fascinating startups out there. I work with a number of them as well. Honestly, like I said, if it's something that strikes my interest, oh yeah, I will I will jump and, and, and help out with a particular company regardless. So you like that diversity. I mean, you're... I do. I do. And, and I don't like doing the same thing day in and day out. So I, I like a good challenge. Yeah. Just... You like, like a few curveballs now and again. That's good. Right. <laughs> so what's your thoughts then on Black Friday? And like, let's take it from a couple of angles, I suppose. We work a lot with, you know, the retailers and the merchants, especially obviously in the online space, but some of them bricks and mortar as well. What do you think is going to happen on Black Friday, you know, if we compare it to last year? Because I think a lot of people are asking questions about how it's going to run. Okay, so here, here's my thoughts. I don't think Black Friday is going to be as important this year. How about that? You know, we've seen a lot of articles, heard a lot of news and such about this is going to be a really different type of holiday season. And it's going to be about e-commerce, of course, because people are still hesitant to go into the stores. And it's going to create capacity concerns. Now, when I say Black Friday is not going to be a big deal, I mean, from a physical store, we've heard a, a number of companies saying that they're going to be closed on Thanksgiving Day. I think Black Friday is going to shift to Thanksgiving Day 
perspective. I think there's going to be a lot of one day e-commerce sales, or, you know, buster type of sales on Thanksgiving day. I think there's going to be a lot of focus on that instead. But I also think the holiday season's going to start much earlier. So the people are going to be shopping earlier and the offers will be earlier as well? I think you're going to start seeing a lot more Black Friday and I'm sitting here quote in the air type of sales starting in October, primarily because I think UPS and FedEx are encouraging this extension, extended season because of the capacity concern. So if you order online early, chances are good you're going to get your stuff on time. Okay, but the closer you wait till Christmas, your chances are going to be reduced. And there's rate surcharges as well, which they're introducing in order to encourage people to to not use those times. Going back to the Black Friday thing, even last year, from a year-over-year perspective, it was kind of a a disappointment, if I remember correctly, because the season started almost before Thanksgiving Day. Again, it was all about e-commerce last year. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, there's still supply chain issues as well. So people are still struggling to get goods in. There's a number of verticals that they're just struggling to get the produce in. So for those particular merchants, I don't really see why they would do sales. If they can't fulfill right now, then why would you reduce the prices of your goods? You know, so I was trying to find a bike, you know, to to do cycling. And uh, it took me a long while to source one probably took me about a month to get hold of one because they're just sold out everywhere because everyone's taken up cycling or so it seems and I think you know that's going on in different spaces and so that's impacting it but also the stats that we see I mean there's very few verticals that are not up at um, at least you know 80 100 percent even in August you know the only ones that we really see suffering from our own client base because we see all the rates at the checkout you know so we see all the analysis of what's going on when people go through the checkout but the only ones that we really see suffering is restaurant supply and event equipment you know they're the ones that are really really getting hurt still but even the b2b business is getting back to normal levels and above that's what fedex said in their recent earnings earlier this week as well that they're seeing an increase in the b2b stuff yeah, the B2B is back for sure. But some companies are pivoting. So like we've seen companies that may be in like, uh, I don't know, if we've got a company uh, in the packaging space and they've started doing personal protection stuff. And there's kind of janitorial, you know, like they're selling hand sanitizer and things like that. So some companies are, are pivoting a little bit. So to make up for the fact that, you know, some of the offices are not open, they're just switching over. So people are not going to be rushing to the malls. I just don't no. see that at all. I agree, yeah. People's values have changed and what's important to them and what they need and then what are their luxury items, as it were, you know, and I think that's changed for everybody. Is that handbag so important anymore, right? Doing things for your family and giving and things. So I think that that will change the retail space a little bit personally. But I do think once we open back up again fully, everyone's going to go crazy. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people shopping in airports. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think the values have changed, you know, and, and people are questioning them, you know, like you said, do I really need another handbag? Yeah, you don't need that right now. I suppose just to wrap up, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else you want to cover, but it'd be good to talk about what's coming in the future, sort of share a few ideas on that, especially <laughs> around last mile, right? Kind of interesting. 
yeah. I'm interested in your take on that and then I'll, I'll give my take so I'll let you go first because it's easier right I can I can jump off the back here <laughs> okay well so what, what do you think's coming up like what I mean it's always like you know five years 10 years 20 years what's the fun stuff that's coming to last mile okay I think well you know what last year was Amazon that changed their last mile delivery promise for Prime members from today to next day. I think it's going to shift rather quickly to same day. So I think same day is going to become the new norm within the next couple of years. Just on Amazon? Amazon's going to lead it, of course. I mean, there was a Bloomberg article that came out the other day of how Amazon is investing in these micro-fulfillment facilities and neighborhoods, you know, just closer to that end customer. And that's going to put burden on UPS and FedEx to follow because right now neither one can really do that. Well, they could, but you'd be paying out the wazoo. However, by using a DoorDash, Instacart, Postmates, it can be done. So I think you'll see more of that, more of that same day delivery. And I think also you may finally see customers embrace those alternative delivery locations, particularly as retailers start adding those locations on their websites as a shipping option. Because I don't see too many retailer websites providing that option. And I think that's one of the issues that's holding it back. They should come talk to Shipper HQ. We actually um, provide that for free. You don't have to pay for it. You can use Shipper HQ for both UPS Access Point and hold at location. I think that would be a smart thing for retailers to do. Agreed. That's an interesting one for sure. What do you think about, I mean, obviously drones has always been a hot topic and there's always announcements around that. It seems to me that we're a little <laughs> way off. I do see some use cases that seem compelling. So for instance, the B2B side, delivery of components to businesses, you need it in a hurry and they can just drone that over. Like, what do you think about stuff like that? Or do you think that it's just crazy? Karen, you haven't been following the Twitter page very much. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I love okay. drones. I really do. And there is a place for them, including last mile. Not for everywhere, that's for sure, because... Can you imagine the number of drones in the air? God bless, that would create a safety hazard for various places. But I do think they play an important role. I love what UPS is doing with CVS. In Florida, CVS is utilizing UPS's drone delivery in a very large retirement community. Okay. It's huge neighborhood, so to speak. You can see little drones delivering prescriptions and other you know yeah that's crazy right yeah i'm like man I that's a great use case for it and especially the urgency like if you need stuff fast your prescriptions run out um i know myself because I, I, I losing my thyroid a few years ago, i have to take a pill every day right so i imagine like if you're elderly and you can't you know not so agile then just getting that delivered because you've you forgot to to arrange it is fantastic oh i agree i agree and also in that middle mile, and middle mile is from warehouse to warehouse, distribution center. It's that mile before you get to, to the last mile, let's say. There's a lot of opportunity for drone usage. And, and you hit on one from a warehouse to a manufacturer 
you know, spare parts. If you look at, and I hate to keep going back to Amazon, but there's, they have so many good examples. Amazon's middle mile. You have a fulfillment facility. You have sortation facility. And I could see these drones going back and forth between these two facilities or to a delivery hub or such as that. And it is being used in, in China, which is interesting. SF Express, which is a large express provider, small parcel delivery yeah, no, good, provider. Yeah. They are in, in implementing drones in their middle mile section and to an extent to that last mile as well. They're achieving cost savings uh, and efficiency. So it's pretty cool. JD.com as well, you know yep. them. So they're doing some really interesting stuff around that space. They also have the autonomous vehicles. Have you seen those? Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, they're pretty good. I don't know if you had this. I know America, but I don't know America kind of 40-odd years ago. But when I was a kid, there was a milkman, you know, that would come around with what we call a milk float. I don't know what your what your terms are for this. But they, you know, you would drop off milk, but also bread they would drop off and you could order you know different things eggs and stuff like that it's kind of like a return to that is possible where you could basically have this autonomous vehicle coming down your street in the morning delivering your stuff exactly exactly yeah could you imagine putting one off into neighborhoods and just let them deliver throughout that neighborhood or replenish at the community house or the clubhouse by the neighborhood pool or what have you it makes sense it makes sense Sometimes people are scared of stuff like this or they don't think it's here. If you look at what JD.com's doing, those guys, like, it's happening. I mean, they have it and they're using it in China and, like, even the stuff with, you know, like, Instacarts and stuff like that, the shopping. I mean, in some of the supermarkets in China and over in Asia, they're putting the bags on pegs and then they're all going above everybody's head. They're not walking around with a cart or anything or to load it. It's just all going on these things. And then you're, you're like, well, what's the supermarket going to be? I could see the supermarket completely changing. The supermarket you walk in actually being quite small. Yeah. But behind that is, you know, where they're actually managing all of these online orders. And the whole thing starts switching around there. And even the malls, like my understanding is, is that Amazon's looking at some of the malls now and going, should we repurpose these as fulfillment centers? Because that starts to get what you're talking around about the micro fulfillment. Yeah. They can start using them. But then you also, the people that have got the mall space today, my understanding is that some of them are using that to deal with last mile. You know, so all the goods are coming into the malls and then they're reutilizing their staff to split the packages up and send on. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of uh, creativity to keep the supply chain moving efficiently technology of course but i mean before the technology you need that innovation that mindset changes and i think it's going to be sped up even faster this is an acceleration of what's happening we are scared of that and rightly so and i think yeah. people lose jobs and automation happens and everything else but my feeling on it is and i think about this a lot is that if you wrap your head around it there's a ton of new opportunity there and there's a potential to create a lot of jobs around it as well. And it is a reskilling of the workforce in many ways. Yeah. But also the repurposing as well. Like the malls have been, in my mind, on a slow decline, especially in America. I, mean, I really feel there's big problems around malls in America specifically because you walk around and it was kind of dead in there before COVID hit. It was time for change. And I think this has sped it up, but maybe that's a good thing, right? I think the mall should be 
somewhere like a circus. That's what I think. We should go. You should want to go to the mall because there's great events on. An experience. Yeah, an experience. It should be an experience. And retail is on the side. Yeah, because I noticed that even before COVID hit, that the mall close to where we live was kind of transitioning towards that. So they had a space available for folks to go in to do video games. I think that's what's going to happen. There'll be sports events there, like dance, music. And I think that'll be a great day because we need something like that, especially when you're living in a more northern area of the country where you know it's cold in the winter and you can't get outside so much. I think the mall should be a place you should be able to go. And if you can mix retail and shopping with the experience side mm-hmm. and giving people a great time, I think that people are going to shop more. <laughs> That's as simple as that. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's good. And I think this is a good note to end on, actually. It's interesting times, isn't it? And I know it's, I mean, you're probably the same as me. Like, it's a difficult year, isn't it? But there's opportunity that comes out of this. And and I think we have to sort of embrace some of this change and and run with it and and also hope that we we get back to some form of normality as soon as possible, right? Right. I agree. Is there anything else you want to cover off or are we uh, bored you to death here? (laughs) (laughs) It's been fun. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. It's really good to talk to you. Your stuff's amazing. You're you're really cool. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now my head's been so big. It's nice to see, honestly, like a, a woman in tech, you know, that that's established, you know, and experienced and confident and intelligent. That's important. So I really appreciate you being there, and uh, you're a good you're a good role model for a lot of women, including myself. So thank you. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. No worries. Will you look after yourself? And I'm sure we're going to talk again soon. I think, I think you're fabulous. So, and uh, everyone needs to follow you. And um, if you need any any information on uh, supply management, they should go to your website, right? And that's the best way to get in touch. Go to my website or just ping me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much, Kevin. You take care Thank of yourself. You. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.